Would you turn your Bibles, please, to Matthew, the fifth chapter, Matthew chapter 5. I feel like we're very, very fortunate to have the kind of staff we have here at Glendale Baptist Church. I'm so grateful for the ladies who serve sometimes behind the scenes, for Ms. Martha Vaud, who directs the Anchored Christian School, for Brother Lloyd Williford in his service, Brother Buster Jordan, Brother Johnny Deacons. I just thank God for each one of these, and our hearts get blessed Sunday after Sunday and week after week as we hear them share with us what a joy and blessing. Now may we pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the honor of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that today his name will be exalted as we've already sung. And as these have shared with us in special song. And now may we glean from the word of God some things that will help us as we move into days of revival in our time. In Jesus' name, amen. The greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, was not given to the unsaved. It was given to God's people. And so the message today is geared to all of us who claim the name of Jesus as our Savior. But it also has an overflow to those who have not yet received Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus began with the Beatitudes. And the verse that we want to lay on our hearts this morning is verse 6. Jesus said, Blessed are they who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are they who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I have an idea that most everybody that came to church today came, whether with an open acknowledgement of that, but came because you were hungry. You were hungry for spiritual food. For the buster, let her just help her to sit right down there. This dear, precious lady is such a dear one. She, she has made a profession of her faith in Christ. And she's so exuberant about it. Just have her sit right there at the front. That's right. She's come twice this morning and can hardly wait for the invitation. And I like that. God bless you, dear lady. I appreciate you. You wait just a few minutes. All right. All right. Bless her heart. Now, Jesus put his finger on the very problem that interrupts or holds back the tides of revival. That finger was put on the fact that we're not very hungry. Jesus said, blessed are they that are hungry and thirsty after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you came today, either in the auditorium or you're listening by radio, and your heart is hungry spiritually, he's going to feed you. I may not be able to feed you, but he will. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Break thou the bread of life, dear Lord, to me, as thou didst break the loaves beside the sea. And that's what he wants to do. And when we get hungry enough, to go to him often enough with an empty cup, 
and say, Lord, fill it up. Fill it up. I lift it up to thee. He'll do it. He has never disappointed anybody who was hungry. Now, a corollary verse to that is found in Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse, beginning with verse 9. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? This coming Thursday night, we begin a series of meetings. I pray that it will be a revival. It will be if we all get hungry enough, if we all get thirsty enough to say, Lord, fill my cup, I lift it up to thee. Now, if it's business as usual, the same old thing, and we come to Thursday and say, well, that's my night to stay home. That's my night to shop. That's my night to do something else. It's my night to bowl or go to the league or something else. Then by that degree, you will be subtracting from the power of revival that God wants to give. Because one of the evidences of our hunger is to come to the fountain. One of the evidences of our thirst is to come where the water of life is freely flowing. And so I want to just lay on your heart this morning. A study of revivals has revealed there are three ingredients, three ingredients that open the wind of God. Revival is literally the wind of God blowing once again on our lives. The word revival appears a number of times in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the idea of revival is stirring up the gift that is within you. It's like in the old days when we had, uh, we had furnaces or stoves and they weren't electric and they didn't have a stoker and all that. And you'd have to go all night long and stir them up. Stir up the fire with a poker. Any of you ever do that? Stir up the fire with a poker. You'd do that to make the fire burn all through the night. I've done it many, many times. Well, this scripture is saying, if you want the fire of God in your life, you have to stir it up. It has to be stirred up. There are three ingredients for that kind of stirring up of the fire of God. Number one is confession. Number two is compassion. Number three is a holy control by Him. Let's look at it just a moment. Turn your Bible to 2 Chronicles 7.14. 2 Chronicles 7.14. The great temple had just been built. There was a great dedication. There were thousands of people there. They had made a huge sacrifice. We had an instrumental ensemble the other night. I think there were seven or eight or nine. Thank God for that. I hope it'll grow. We'll meet again this evening at 530. But they had an instrumental ensemble of 4,000 instruments and people. 4,000. You think of that. 
a huge convocation, a lot of excitement. Right in the middle of it, God called Solomon aside and said, wait a minute, Solomon, before you get too excited, I want to tell you something. There's going to come a time when the fire will burn low. And you won't have all these thousands of people. The attendance won't be that great. You won't see such high fire glowing. The people will have their minds on some other things. And I want to tell you, here's what you do. Just the same formula. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, listen. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Healing involves a new excitement. When you get healed from a disease, you just feel like, boy, that's wonderful. It's wonderful. You feel like, like Atlas stretching your muscles. Wonderful. I'm no longer, you go to the doctor and you get a good report, and it makes you feel good all over. And when you go to the Lord and you get a good spiritual report, it does something inside. It gives you a joy and a feeling. Miss Lucy and I have a little spiritual confrontation from time to time. She focuses on feeling. I say, well, you have to trust. But I want to tell you, when you are in the Lord and you're rejoicing in Him, there's a feeling. Amen? <laughs> All right. Now, that comes when my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then, T-H-E-N, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. Now, this involves some confession. And another word for that is repentance. When John came preaching in the wilderness, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus came, he said the same thing, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What is repentance? Repentance is recognizing the direction you're going. That's important. A lot of people never repent because they don't know which way they're going. Recognizing the way they're going stopping, asking his forgiveness, and turning around and going the other way. That's repentance. Going away from Christ, I'm going toward Christ. Repentance is a turning away, a turning around. Just stopping is reformation. That's not enough. It's better than some people do, but it's not enough. A lot of people just go right on blindly in their sins. They go on doing what they want to do. Doesn't make any difference what anybody thinks. They're not even aware it's wrong. I've been into home after home after home after home after home in recent years, especially the last year, and seen people living together who don't bother to get married. And no shame to it. They don't try to camouflage it all. They just openly talk about it. The lottery tickets in Kentucky are a wicked, sinful gambling device to teach the people who are supposed to know better that they can get something for nothing. That's sin. And you'd be amazed at the people whose names are on church rolls. 
and the people who maybe they're Christians, sincerely, they think nothing wrong with them. They didn't think about it. They just go right on buy their lottery tickets. You'd be shocked at the people that guzzle their beer and drink their whiskey. Think nothing wrong with it. They're not even aware it's wrong. I have been amazed at people who let profanity come out of their mouths. Filth, barnyard language, sin, wickedness. And you say, hey, wait a minute. Do you hear what you're saying? What, what do you mean? What am I saying? Well, you just took God's name in vain. You just took the name of my best friend in vain. What, what did I say? What do you mean? See, they're so used to it. They don't even think about it. So they don't repent. Repentance involves recognizing sin. Now, that's where preaching on the holiness of God comes in. That's where preaching on some standards comes in. So that people will be made aware of sin. Paul calls it the exceeding sinfulness of sin. Sin is a terrible thing. It's a stink in the nostrils of God. And in our world today, people just go blithely on in their sin, thinking nothing about it. Revival comes when we recognize it's wrong. That's not enough, though. But we recognize it's wrong. Then we turn to God and ask His forgiveness, and we turn away, turn around, go back to the cross. That's revival. It can come to any one of us anytime we're willing. It could start right in your heart this moment. If there's a willingness to come to grips with what sin is, exceedingly sinful, wicked, wrong, in God's sight, in the presence of the holiness of God, and a willingness to turn away from it. That's confession. That's repentance. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and pray. Prayer is the key in confession. Prayer is the most wonderful opportunity any of us ever had. It's like a blank check. I don't know whether we have any wealthy people in our church or not. There may be some of you that are hiding your wealth, and I don't know about it. But suppose some wealthy person came and gave me a blank check and said, now look, I've signed my name to it. You write on there whatever you need. There's plenty in the bank to hold up to it. So I meagerly write $2. I need that for something, so I write $2. I get $2. That's all I get from a person that told me I could write a check for $100,000. See, I didn't ask very much. Jesus said, ask and ye shall receive. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. It is high time that we begin to ask God for some impossible things that only God could do. We need to pray for some people to get converted and saved and changed. Some hard, knock, not, hard nuts to crock, crack, so to speak. We need to pray for some impossible things. You know what I'm praying? And I pray you'll join me. By August the 13th, they will get that debt paid off over there. We owe 100, about $143,000 more. I think we can do it. If all of our hearts would get tapped and we'd say, I'm going to sacrifice and do it. Now, God's not going to do it. 
without all of us entering into it because this is his church. So we need to ask. Ask some impossible things, some hard things, some difficult things. What is a difficult thing in your life? You think about it a minute. Have you tried praying about it and asking God about it? God has a way beyond our understanding of working things out in a way that's beyond our comprehension. Elijah saw the whole land filled with Baalism. Baal worship was a vulgar, ugly, filthy, immoral kind of worship. And Ahab and Jezebel cooperated, and they wanted to do away with Jehovah worship out of the land. And that old gizzard Elijah, you can't imagine the nerve and gall that guy had. He said, I want to call all these prophets of Baal together. Get them up here on Mount Carmel. And we're going to have them sacrifice to their gods and ask that their gods would consume their sacrifice with fire. You think they can do that? Well, the Baal god said, the Baal prophet said, sure, we won't have any trouble with that. We'll do it. They believed in their gods, so they got all together, 4,000 of them. They built their altars, and they spent all morning praying. Nothing happened. They prayed till noon. In the afternoon, they began to cut themselves, and they, they did all kinds of grimaces and strange things, and they begged and pleaded and pled. And Elijah stood over and mocked him and says, Your God gone on a vacation? Is he asleep? What's wrong with him? Why doesn't he do something? Finally, they gave up. And Elijah said, All right, I want you to go down to the Mediterranean Sea and get barrels of water. Not just a few, but a bunch of barrels of water. Bring them up here. I'm going to build an altar. And I want you to pour all this water on my sacrifice. So they brought barrels of water and poured on them. He said, it's not enough. Go get some more. They poured some more water. That's not enough. Go get some more. They carried them, they wore them up, wore, wore them out going up and down that mountain from the Mediterranean Sea up there and pouring water on the, on the sacrifice. Finally, after they'd got it thoroughly saturated with water, Elijah knelt down and prayed just a brief prayer. Lord, let it be known today that there's a God in Israel. Just like that, fire came and licked up that sacrifice. And the people stood back. He is God. Jehovah is God. Because Elijah dared to challenge the prophets of Baal. Have we done that anything like that lately? Have we prayed like that? Pray till the light breaks through. Pray until God begins to work and to serve and to do something that only God can do. Solomon, when the people get lethargetic and there's no revival, if my people, he didn't say how many, Moody went to England there were two ladies who had prayed for revival. They prayed. They hardly dared to pray that Moody would come to their church. They just prayed for revival in their church. One Sunday morning, just by chance, the pastor had invited this young evangelist from America to come and speak in the church. One of the ladies was bedfast. She had to stay home. She was praying. She didn't know who he was. 
And her sister came home that afternoon and said, you can't imagine who was at our church this morning. No, who was it? It was the Moody, evangelist Moody from America. Oh, she said, is he going to be there tonight? Yes, he's coming back tonight. She said, let's give ourselves the rest of the day to fasting and prayer. And they fasted and prayer, prayed. And that night, Moody spoke again. And hundreds were converted. Some church members. We had a cottage prayer meeting last Friday night. Two people came. Two sisters. I believe God will honor their prayer. A lot of the rest of us could have gotten in on it. How hungry are we? You see an announcement about prayer meetings. Do you say, well, I've got to go do this, and I've got to go do that. Or, I, or how hungry really are we to see God move and do something? We had a meeting in Danny Pettigrew's house one night several months ago, maybe a year or so ago, a little cottage prayer meeting. We got on our faces before God and began to pray for our youth work and for our young people. As a follow-up of that, almost immediately, they began to, some things happened in the youth work. And some young people began to take stands for God and take seriously the things of God. God answers prayer. How much do we believe that? If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. The second ingredient is compassion. In Psalm 126, 5 and 6, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless, doubtless, doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. God said that. I believe it. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. He that goeth forth and weepeth and bearing precious seed, the word of God, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bring his sheaves with him. What does that mean? That means sowing in the morning, sowing in the noontime, sowing in the evening, and so on and so on. Just keep at it. Go on, going on. You don't go once and say, well, nobody came. I'm discouraged and I've got other things to do, so I'll quit. No, just keep on. He that soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. He that soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly. Compassion for those that are unsaved. How much do we care about the lost? How much do we really care? How much do I care? I have to ask myself that all the time. I pray, Lord, make it my business to know the eternal destiny of just about everybody I meet. But I fail God a lot of times. I don't do that all the time. I want to. That's my goal. Sometimes I get in a hurry and I don't do it. That happened to you? He that soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. Sowing gospel tracts. Sowing invitations to our Sunday school. The reason we're having this sign up for, for Sunday, April the 16th, Asking everybody to come is another way of sowing. Getting as many people under the Word of God as we possibly can. Dr. Deems was the pastor of the Church of the Strangers in New York City. They built a great building 
when the building was finished at the dedication, he said, friends of the church, if all the vast outlay of praying and planning and paying that we've done should result in the salvation of one soul, it would be worth it all. After the church service, some of the officers came by and said, Pastor, didn't you oversay it a little bit when you said if all that money and all that plan and all that praying and so on that we put into this building would result in just one soul being saved? The man stood erect. He said, not if it was my son. It would be worth it. Do we look at people as our own, our sons, our daughters, our brothers, our sisters, our mothers, our wives, our husbands, and, and so on? Do we look at them like that? Do we care? Do we really, really care? The great world's heart is aching, aching fiercely in the night, and God alone can heal it, and God alone give light. And the men to bear the message and to speak the living word are you and I, my brother, and the millions that have heard. The third word that spells revival, confession, compassion, care about people, control, a holy control. In John chapter 16, speaking of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, and when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because you believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit will do the work. He's the wind of God. In the New Testament, Greek, the word for spirit is pneuma. The word for wind is pneuma. He's the wind of God. The wind of God is revival. The Holy Spirit is the wind of God blowing first into our lives to give the freshness and then through us into the lives of those around us. And then he's the one that brings people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit. But he has to control us. He has to be in touch. We have to just say, Lord, use me. Have your will, have your way in my life. I want to close with these two illustrations. You've heard them before, but I like them. They remind me over and over again. I preach to myself when I preach these. One Thursday night, we had visitation. And I wanted very much, there was a preacher in this city. I wanted very much to go hear him preach. So I thought, well, I'll just have the people meet. And I'll go out there and hear that preacher preach. I wasn't going to do anything wrong. I certainly wasn't going to go home and watch television. I was going to be about the master's business. I went, drove over to that church, started to go in. I had my Bible with me. And the Holy Spirit said, you're supposed to go see a certain man tonight. Well, I said, Lord, I've been to see him over and over again. I, I want to hear this preacher preach. You're supposed to go see that man tonight. So without saying a word to anybody, I just got up and left the service. Got back in my car. Drove down to Hope Street. Got in front of the house. The devil said, don't go in there. You'll make a nuisance of yourself. You've been there over and over again. I drove on. Holy Spirit said, you ought to go back. I drove back in front of the house. The devil said, don't go in there. You'll embarrass him and you'll make a mess of yourself and you don't know what else to say to him. You've said everything you know to say to him. Don't go back. Drove on down the street. That happened over and over again for about six or ten, maybe ten minutes. Finally, I drove back in front of the house. The Holy Spirit said, go in there. I got out of my car, ran up to the door, 
His wife was at the door. I said, where is he? She knew who I meant. I went back through the house, and he was back there getting his tackle of stuff ready to go fishing. I just sat right down beside him, put my little Bible over in front of him, and I said, God... I love you. If God came, told me to come and see you again tonight, I want to see you saved. In just a few minutes, that man who had resisted the Lord over and over again opened his heart to Jesus. Got saved. He's here in this service today. The Holy Spirit will lead us. He'll do the witnessing. He'll take care of it. Just do what he tells you to do. I was in the hospital I came out of the hospital for an appointment. I was busy, came across the parking lot. It was the old hospital up on the hill. And as I crossed the hospital parking lot, there was a man sweeping, and, and God said, you ought to speak to that man about his soul. I said, Lord, I'm in a hurry. I'll be late for my appointment. You ought to speak to him. So I stopped and talked with him. Talked to him in a little while. And I asked him if he were a Christian. He were saved. He said, yes, I am. And I thought, well, that's strange, Lord. Why would you tell me to talk to this man? So I just put my arm on his shoulder and prayed with him. Got back in my car and went on. That afternoon, I was out visiting. And the Holy Spirit said, you need to go in this, just turn in where this house is. I'd never, never been there before. I didn't even know who it was. I turned into that house. I went up and knocked on the door, and a girl came to the door and said, we've been expecting you. You're a preacher, aren't you? I didn't know her and she didn't know me. I, I went in and she called her daddy. Her daddy came in, stood there a few minutes. He said, are you a preacher? I said, yes. He said, I've been expecting you. He said, this morning early I asked God to send somebody to me to tell me how to get to heaven. We got down on our knees by an old hassock there. I showed him from the Bible simply how to be saved. He gave his heart to Christ. He was a banker in this city. I, I didn't know him. I didn't know who he was. He got saved. I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit does the work if we will allow him to control us. And I want to ask you, is there anybody here today who will allow the Holy Spirit to control you? First, if you're a Christian, would you say, Holy Spirit, breathe on me. <clears throat> Fill me. Control my life. Have thy way in my life today. Would you? And friend, if you're not saved, if you're not sure, why not today? Why not come and say, I want Christ to have his way in my life. I want to yield to him right now. May we pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege of prayer. We pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to every one of our hearts. And may there come the winds of revival, the refreshment from the Lord as we yield to thee. Lord, restore unto us the joy of thy salvation. Whatever it means, hear our repentant cries to thee. We've all sinned. We've all made mistakes. We've all had poor judgments. Lord, look upon us and pity us. Look upon our church, upon our individual people here today. 
And may there rise up before thee a spirit of repentance toward God, a spirit that would lead to revival. And, oh, God, give us the compassion that can only come from Jesus and give us a yieldedness that would let the Holy Spirit take control. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please. 385. I can hear the Savior calling, take thy cross and follow me. 385. Where he leads me, I will follow. Find that book, page number, and then look at me just a moment. The Holy Spirit of God is speaking to hearts here this morning. There's some in this room who are open to the Spirit. You've heard him speak to you. You've heard him deal with your heart. I want to ask you if you'd come. It may mean just kneeling at the front bench and praying. It may mean some kind of public commitment. Whatever it means, do it. And friend, if you're not saved, if you're lost, you're not sure you'd go to heaven if you died right now, I want to ask you to come. I want to show you just from the Bible how to know Jesus and how to know you're going to heaven. Won't you do it now? Don't put it off another minute. Will you come while we begin to sing?